This is the Kevin Simpson Show, expert insight and analysis from the industry's top investment professionals. If you'd like a deeper understanding of today's markets, this is the show for you. This show is sponsored by Capital Wealth Planning, providing covered call solutions for financial advisors. To learn more about their SMAs or ETF, visit CapitalWealthPlanning.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into this episode of The Kevin Simpson Show. My guest today is Bill Hornbarger, who is the Chief Investment Officer of Benjamin F. Edwards, and my co-host today, as always, Mr. Jay Coulter. Jay, Hi. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Kevin, th- this is going to be an exciting episode. Bill, I appreciate you coming on. This is the first time we've had you on the Kevin Simpson Show. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your background before we start getting your thoughts on the markets and economy? Absolutely. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me today. Uh, So Bill Hornbarger, CIO at Benjamin F. Edwards. And uh, uh, I've spent uh, about three decades in the industry as a senior strategist at, at several different firms background in fixed income. I was chief fixed income strategist at a uh, at a Wall Street firm. And uh, prior to joining Benjamin F. Edwards, I was actually uh, chief investment officer at about a $30 billion uh, um, multifamily office. So, you know, uh, pretty good background on asset allocation. Uh, we've done a lot in hedge funds and, and, and privates over the year, uh, but spent a lot of our time just in the traditional markets uh, doing allocation work and thinking about the markets, thinking about evaluations and where we're headed next. Excellent. And a great segue into our first topic today. What are your thoughts on the equity valuations that we're seeing today? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And there's not a day that goes by that probably all of us don't get asked about, you know, isn't the market too high? And, you know, valuations seem extraordinary here. And I I think there's a couple of different ways you, you have to think about it, right? You've got to think about it from, you know, purely looking at equity valuations relative to their own history. And we run a really simple four factor model that uh, looks at price to book, price to sales, price to cash flow and price to earnings. Equally weight those four metrics and then look at where the markets are relative to their own history. I don't think it comes as a great surprise to anybody on this call that were expensive, right? You know, several of those are in kind of 90, 95th percentile valuations. So in and of themselves, kind of relative to history, equity valuations are expensive. But as an allocator, right, if if we have to allocate a dollar across the markets, then we have to look at equity valuations in that context. And uh, I, I think if you think about, you know, from an allocation perspective and where I think the best returns are going to be over the next three, five, seven, 10 years, I start looking at equities. I look at where fixed income is and I say, you know, relative to the other asset classes, equities provide better forward looking return prospects. So again, I think, you know, most people would say by traditional metrics, stocks are expensive. Um, and I don't think it matters really what segment of the market you're looking at, right? Whether it's large cap growth, EM, mid value, whatever, you know, equity uh, valuations are above, you know, his, you know, historical averages, well above historical averages. But again, as an allocator looking across the markets and thinking about where do I want to, you know, put my dollar for the best prospect, equities look, you know, inexpensive relative to other asset classes. Kevin, what are your thoughts? I wasn't sure how Bill was going to address that question because I know with his 
deep roots and fixed income, it's sometimes painful to uh, to look at these higher valuations and, and not choke on the fact that we're both in agreement that th this is still a place to be. Now, it might not be as blindly throwing darts and seeing stocks appreciating. We might not see massive double-digit returns. You know, surprisingly, we, we, we almost, I guess we did hit my uh, year-end projection probably a week ago. So uh, kind of shows you what I know. But we, we look at markets um, in a similar fashion, and we look at stocks in a very similar fashion to how Bill just described it. Give us best of breed, give us increasing earnings, give us a good business model, give us good free cash flow. For us very specifically, we look for rising dividends also, but to the extent that we're, we're seeing things a little frothy, a little at the higher end of the spectrum, you know, it's going to be hard to find anyone that's going to argue about that. But I did see an interesting uh, interview with Leon, Co Leon Cooperman on CNBC on Friday, and it was just uh, incredible to listen to some of the statistics that he used the analogy of today's current valuations to the nifty 50 and what things were uh, priced at, 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 at the time. It was also interesting to see how many of those companies are no longer in business and uh, have gone bankrupt. But what his point was is that, like Bill suggested, we're high, but it's not a reason to be a seller. Excellent. So gentlemen, there's no shortage of opinions in the marketplace on the Federal Reserve. So I, I can jump in and, and start on the Fed and, you know, would love to hear your your thoughts also. But I, you know, I think they've backed themselves into a tough place. Um, you know, the Fed has been pretty transparent, pretty clear and pretty on message that they're going to be very, very patient, that, you um, they don't see rate increases in 2021, that they're going to continue to lean into their bond buying programs, $120 billion a month. And, you know, the most, you know, uh, most of these were policies that were put in place, you know, last March, last April, you know, at the very beginning of the pandemic. Well, you flash forward a year, um, certainly inflation is higher than it was at that point in time. The financial markets have done very, very well. Um, the economy, uh, you know, the data is, is appearing to do better uh, and is doing better, significantly better than where we were. And so the question becomes, if those were all crisis policies, are we still in crisis and do we still need them? I think, you know, the Fed over the years, I think, uh, you know, directionally has generally been correct. Um, I think degree and timing we can have arguments about. And I think uh, in this particular instance, the Fed is probably a little bit behind the curve. And if you were to ask me based on everything that we're seeing today, pent up demand, uh, you know, where we are, uh, you know, kind of in the economic cycle, the economy reopening, more people getting vaccinations, I would suggest that the Fed is probably going to be moving a little bit earlier than a lot of people think. And I actually think that uh, a move from the Fed would actually be positive for the markets. I, I, I think it would inject a sense of confidence that we're out of this crisis and, and no longer need kind of crisis era monetary policy. Um, you know, I'd, I'd hate to see the Fed go too quick or too far. I don't think anybody wants to see that and choke this thing off. But I do think it would, uh, you know, probably a little bit of short term volatility around when it happened. But I actually think the Fed's probably going to be in a position where they're going to be start talking about tapering and potentially raising rates sooner than their rhetoric has suggested. 
seems like Janet Yellen is in agreement with that. If you look at some of her comments and she has an interesting perspective, having got the opportunity to sit on uh, both, both, both sides of, uh, of that conversation. And I, and I think I would agree almost uh, verbatim with everything you said, beginning with the fact that they've painted themselves a little bit in a corner so many times just committing to this 2023 right hike, which we all know that they can ease back on that uh, with, with enough telegraphing. But the idea of the tapering gives a little bit of a compromise. It doesn't force them to jump from a dovish position to a hawkish position. It doesn't scare the heck out of the market. And the truth is we don't need all of these buybacks. I mean, that tapering is, is probably the right thing to do. So I, I, um, I feel very strongly about everything you've suggested there. And then it kind of leads us into the next question that if we're in a position where that's the Fed is a little bit less dovish, where there's a little bit less of this, uh, this, this, we're not doing anything until 2023 attitude, what does that do to the stock market? And in particular, what does it do to large cap stocks? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. If you look over the last decade, point to point, you know, kind of the closer you got to large and growth and, you know, particularly some of those big tech and, and kind of, you know, new economy names, the better you've done. And, you know, it's certainly reflected in valuations. We just mentioned previously that valuations across the markets are expensive relative to history, but nowhere more pronounced than in large cap growth. And it's, you know, it's really interesting as you start thinking about the Fed raising rates, you think about, you know, recovery from the pandemic. We, we've seen in fits and starts almost to the day since the, you know, the efficacy of the vaccinations were announced last November. We've seen a, a kind of a rotation in the markets. And I, I think, you know, it, 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 it's very simple for people to say, I don't want to own anything other than large cap growth. And, and we think that's a mistake, right? You know, certainly, uh, I think most people, the bulk of their portfolios are U.S. investors, probably in U.S. large cap, and it makes sense, right? But we wouldn't avoid those other areas of the market. And, and particularly if you look at valuations and relative valuations, you know, value stocks look, you know, relative to growth inexpensive, you know, small and mid look a little more attractive than large cap. And if you really think we're going to get the Fed raising rates a little bit, maybe bond yields move up a little bit farther, maybe this, you know, recovery, you know, continues to gain some traction and has legs. We think those are areas in the market that you don't want to avoid, despite what's happened literally the last 11 or 12 years. I mean, again, it's, it's just, it's been the place to be. The closer to large in growth you got, the better you've done. I tell you guys, before we start talking about the fixed income markets, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't have a discussion about inflation. Just like, just like when we talk about the Fed watch, there's plenty of opinions about what inflation looks like today and what it's going to look like in the future in the marketplace. You know, let's start with you, Bill. What are your thoughts on inflation? Yeah, this is a tough one, right? And, and again, it's a question that all of us in this business get from clients every single day, right? They, they see the stock market doing well. They see extraordinary monetary policy. They see bond buying. They see all the government spending, deficit spending. think we've got to have inflation, right? And, you know, again, the Fed is, has said, they said it as recently last week at the end of the, uh, the open market committee meeting, they view inflation pressures as transitory. So what does transitory mean, right? It means temporary, right? So they feel like we're going to see a spike here and then things are going to moderate from there. Um, you know, first of all, you know, a couple of reasons why we need to be thinking about inflation right now, right? You you have the economy 
restarting and a lot of pent up demand. You can see that in all the data, whether it's kind of the traditional data of employment reports or manufacturing surveys. But if you look at things like open table bookings, number of people going through TSA, you see the economy picking up. So there is this pent up demand. At the same time, you've got supply chain issues, right? Think about um, raw materials, right? We've got some, you know, like look at lumber, right? Lumber prices have gone through the roof. You think about com uh, computer components, chips are a shortage right now. So you've got pent-up demand, you've got some shortages. And then the other thing that I think a lot of people miss is a little bit of this is a math problem, right? We're making comparisons on a year-to-year -year basis right now to a time last year when the economy was depressed, I think we had two or three consecutive months where the overall CPI index actually declined month to month. And now we're making those comparisons. So it makes sense on a year to year basis, you're going to have higher inflation. Um, you know, things that I think about, we still have probably eight or nine million jobs that haven't been replaced. Um we don't have the economy fully reopened, at least not here in the Midwest where we are. We're starting to get there, but we're not there yet. And, and so, you know, I, I do think it, it, it's right to think we're going to have higher inflation than we've seen. But I think there's a difference between higher inflation than what we've seen and the runaway inflation that people are really worried about. We've created a lot of credit through Fed policies to get really, you know, sustained, you know, kind of high levels of inflation, I think you need more demand for credit than what we've seen and what we're seeing right now. So, you know, I would say inflation a little bit higher. I don't think that's a bad thing. We've had inflation too low for too long a period of time, but we don't really see, you know, what we would consider runaway or problematic inflation in this cycle. How about yourself, Kevin? Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, coming from an economic shutdown to a reopening, it would be a bad thing if we didn't have a burst of inflation, a burst of resurgence. This uh, this pent up demand, as Bill had suggested, is unlike anything we're, we've ever seen in our lifetime. I was having a conversation with someone the other day, just hy hypothetically comparing it to post-World War II, where we're all so anxious to, to do anything, whether it's movies or restaurants or sporting events. And 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 the 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 airports are more crowded. The restaurants are more crowded and, and beginning to look at cruise bookings and things like that. So it's not just like Bill suggested, the traditional sense of economic data, which are all showing pretty good signs of a reopening economy, but it's it's the eye test. It's, it's not just the price of lumber. It's trying to go into Sherwin-Williams or Home Depot and buy paint, looking at the price of gas and how that compares to what it was just three months ago. So I think this... Um, this inflationary boost is productive. I think it's going to do well for economic. Uh, it, 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 inflation is never good, uh, but a little inflation is never is certainly not bad. So I think it's going to do well from now on until the end of the year. What we don't want to see is a continued surge in this inflation that carries on for an extended period of time. So the idea of it being transitory and temporary is uh, is a great analogy. So one of the more difficult things for financial advisors to put together as it relates to their client portfolios for the past three years, especially, has been the fixed income allocation. So, you know, Bill, let's let's get some ideas on what your thoughts are around valuations and portfolio construction for financial advisors today in the fixed income component. 
Yeah, I think, you know, I think that is that is the question of our time. Right. And it's been an ongoing issue in from an for an asset allocator, asset allocation perspective for almost a decade. And, um, it, you know, the, the issue is is as great as today as it's been any time over the last 10 or 12 years. And it's a tough question, right? So you think about, you know, what is the role of fixed income in a portfolio, right? It provides, you know, really two or three different things, right? It provides liquidity to a portfolio. And I'm talking about core bonds, high quality bonds. So it provides liquidity to a portfolio, uh, equity market risk mitigation, right? That's a, a real fancy way to say it gives me some protection against stock market volatility. And then I think the third thing is, is, you know, some real rate of return above the rate of inflation. Well, the first two still exist, right? I still get liquidity in the fixed income markets and I still get fixed uh, equity market, you know, risk mitigation. What I don't get is that real return above the rate of inflation anymore. Now, having said that, I don't think from an asset allocation perspective, you can just throw fixed income out the window, right? I think there are definitely advantages to having those things in your portfolio, right? Having dry powder to rebalance in a volatile market, having something, you know, high quality that you know is liquid that you can sell when you need to sell it. Nobody wants to sell stocks at depressed valuation. So I I think there is, you know, still a role for fixed income income in a portfolio. Um, I think everybody has to decide for themselves. You know, it's a big anchor on returns, right? When you're looking at a, you know, a 10-year treasury around 160, right? And inflation well above two in the latest print, you know, you have to decide how much of that you want to own, but we wouldn't discount it. And then I think you have to think about, you know, what can I do to augment that, right? So that gets really tough because anything I use to augment that I'm going to be taking some other type and probably more risk than what I'm used to. Um, a strategic allocation, uh, you know, Kevin earlier mentioned dividend stocks. We think dividend stocks make a lot of sense. You know, you look at where dividends are relative to fixed income, the ability to grow dividends, that makes a lot of sense. I actually, it's not a great time in the cycle, but I believe a strategic allocation to high yield bonds makes sense, right? Um, everybody talks about diversification in equity risk. Nobody talks about diversification from rate risk and, you know, high yield bonds, you know, uh, in, in appropriately size can give you some diversification benefits from rate risk. Um, and then I think you have to look at other things, but in looking at all those other things, whether it's, you know, preferred stocks or direct lending strategies or, you know, they're going to come with some other type of risk. What I would say from an allocation perspective is if I'm focused on long-term goals, you know, things like retirement, paying for children's education and things like that, I want to own fixed income. But again, as we mentioned earlier, I probably want to lean more into equities just because of the, you know, projected forward returns. So, Kevin, what what are your thoughts on how financial advisors should be looking at fixed income allocations today? Well, the truth is that's why we had Bill on. I mean, there's no better expert on fixed income and and that that space in the world. So I was hoping to uh, to learn from Bill, which we certainly have. One comment I would make is that our strategy using rising dividends and covered calls has often been paired with fixed income and in some cases may have even bled into a fixed income allocation in a very small regard because we have the ability to generate a little bit higher income stream. 
But at the end of the day, that's still a stock allocation. It doesn't provide us with the liquidity, the security against market declines. So we have to be very, very careful about looking at fixed income alternatives and really to Bill's point, look at fixed income for what it is as an appropriate allocation in a portfolio. And maybe historically, they would have been a little bit larger allocation than perhaps they are today in certain instances. But the takeaway is how important it is to be diversified and how important it is to own fixed income, even if it's not the highest yielding thing out there. Bill, we really appreciate you coming on. It's very, very insightful. Viewers, to learn more about Benjamin F. Edwards, please visit BenjaminFEdwards.com. And to learn more about capital wealth planning, please visit CapitalWealthPlanning.com. Bill, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Bill, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it very much. We learned a lot about fixed income. We'll hope to come back again soon. Absolutely. This message does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase securities through CWP Advisory Services. Investments are not guaranteed and involves risk of loss. The views and opinions expressed in this message are those of investment professionals made at the time this content was recorded, are not necessarily the views and opinions of CWP, and may change in time without notification. For additional information about CWP, visit CWP's or the SEC's website for a copy of our ADV Disclosure Brochure and Form CRS.